0: Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you. Also, Bill Jack from Worldview Academy joining us on this edition. Welcome, Bill.
1: Hey. Well, Bill, there are significant things happening in England. Now, we've done some programs on England. Well, I don't know if there are significant things happening. I think it's just you can hear the the swirling in the toilet. Uh, as, as yeah. everything's being flushed.
0: Church of England is looking at gender-neutral language for the Word of God and not referring to... God as the Father, and even considering removing our Father, which art in heaven. That would be a fairly significant change in uh, Western Christianity. The yep. project could remove non gendered terms, which refer to God. Priests may be asked to stop using male pronouns like he or him when talking about God. The announcement comes ahead of a vote by the Church of England on blessing services for homosexual couples. Now, here's a big takeaway before I get to that issue of the gender neutral stuff. Here's a big takeaway. I want you to think about this for a moment. The Church of England attendance as of 2021, 605,000 persons on a Sunday. That's 0.9% of the English population. Wow. Now, there's an additional approximately 2 to 3%. So the other 70 to 80% of people who go to church don't attend Church of England services in England. But I want you to think about this. There are 605,000 people in church on Sunday in this Church of England gig, down from 5%, 0.9%, down from 5% in 1960, down from 40% in the early part of the 1900s. Okay, so the, the bottom has fallen out of this thing. Now, Church of England attendance is about the same as get this the size of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> or the Reformed Church of Romania.
1: Oh my word. Or the community
0: of the disciples of Christ in the Congo. Or the present Moravian population of Hussites. Okay. Now, stop for just a moment. Who who are these people? Yeah, yeah you you've seen the Hussites on front, you know, Christian headlines lately. You, you know, the Reformed Church of Romania,
1: we, we get updates on them. On a fairly regular uh, basis, right? I get a feed on them every five minutes. (laughs) I'm
0: sure you do. Yeah, Yeah, you're connected.
1: You're connected. I I follow them, yeah. Yeah,
0: you're connected. So, you know, I'm not saying that these Christian sects are negligible, but exactly. The Church of England is as relevant to the world as the community of the Disciples of Christ of the Congo. (laughs) Do you follow me here? Yes. (laughs) These people just aren't relevant anymore. No, and who cares? The Moravian population to the Hesites and the Reformed Church of Romania... They're not making the headlines, friends. The Anglican Church is totally irrelevant to the rest of the world. Who cares that they're looking at gender-neutral language, except that that certifies their relevance and their apostasy? Uh, that's, yeah. that's, I think that's what we all need, need to take away from this right. at this point. These guys are negligible, okay? This is the old, decrepit, Christian, Western world that's done. The The branches have been severed, okay? You hear that chainsaw sound?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, or that cl- is it? Clip, clip, or no, what is it? No, the chainsaw that stopped chaining and so long on. time ago. A long time ago. After five hundred years, isn't it time to pull the plug on the Anglican Church? The head of the church
0: is Charles the Third. I mean, let's just say he's an adulterer. Yeah, and he not necessarily repentant either. From the last time I heard him speak.
1: So, it, but it was the church was formed by. Well, Cranmer and Latimer and those
0: guys, but ultimately placed under the king, yeah. King Henry VIII. Yeah, so, who
1: was an adulterer.
0: Who, yeah, you're right. He had <laughs> his issues, too. You're right. And Charles I and Charles II. Yeah. I, I, if I was the queen of England, I would not call my son Charles. No. That's, no. that's probably one of the worst legacies it's, you could ever kinda, set it's kinda on kinda a, like the, a the, son.
1: the horror movie, Chucky. Yeah. yeah. Part
0: three. <laughs> yes. Oh boy, oh boy. Now, that's not to say that there hasn't been some godly guys. I think of John Newton. I believe he was in the Church of England. Yeah. I think of J.C. Ryle and other stalwarts. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're not minimizing the contributions of those who have gone before us. But guys, I'm just saying the age of the national church is over. The age of a church controlled by a adulterer and a post-Christian king is over. It's over. It's time to pull the plug on that. All right. Well, we're going to talk a little more about this whole gender neutral thing and the NIV next on Generation. Stay with us. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual Summer Father-Son Retreat in the Colorado Mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year And we're already filling up. Go to com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to com and register today. And we are back on Generations. The Church of England going for gender-neutral language is what it's looking like. But uh, who in the world, the community of the Disciples of Christ in the Congo, they're as big, as significant, have as many members as those who attend the Anglican Church on a Sunday morning. I wonder what... Their position, the Community of the Disciples of Christ in the Congo, I wonder what their position is on gender neutral, <laughs>
1: You know, I bet it's better than the Church of England. It probably is. They have, they have 640 congregations that serve 800,000 members.
0: Okay, so they're bigger. They're bigger. They're bigger than yeah. the Church of England, so we better get in contact with yeah, them and find we, out what their should. position yeah. is. <laughs> let's put that on the front of Christian Post. Okay. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the roots of this gender-neutral language. Can we do that for just a moment? Because I think this is interesting. We touched on this, I'm going to say, back in 2012, 2011, when the TNIV came out or thereabouts. And I want to hit the history of the insidiousness of the zeitgeist working through the Christian publishing industry just for a moment. Yeah, This is very interesting. I just discovered it today as I was doing the research for the program. Very interesting. One of the most interesting researches that I've done, uh, in the 1960s, okay, go all the way back to the 1960s, the Christian Reformed Church worked on the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible, which became one of the most popular versions. In fact, I would say probably number two in the nation. Right. Number two to the KJV. Yeah. So it was huge. It has huge influence. It broke out big time. So the NIV produced by the Christian Reformed Church, or at least leaders within the Christian Reformed Church in the 1960s, it was a transliteration of the Bible, a fairly loose translation. And I'm not a big fan of it, and never was. But uh, Zondervan published it. The point is, Zondervan published it in the 1960s and 70s. In 1988, HarperCollins, a non-Christian company, buys out Zondervan, HarperCollins. In 2011, HarperCollins buys out Thomas Nelson. These are the largest Christian publishers in America now owned by anti Christians. By the way, Random House at the same time bought out Multnomah and Waterbrook. Wow. And so that's fifty-four percent of the Christian publishing industry in America owned by non-Christians and anti Christians. Now, it's not a conspiracy. Okay? I'm not a conspiratorialist. I'm not a conspiratorialist. The more, the more you, say, the more you Bill, say that, Bill, the more you say Bill, that
1: Stop it, it's Bill. Like, it's like don't think about purple elephants. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about purple elephants, exactly. aren't you? That's all people are hearing you say. That's it's a I'm conspiracy, saying.
0: Bill. I, it's, it's hard not to, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, yeah. but against principies and powers. But there's I an wonder, ultimate conspiracy. I just against against the, wonder if principies and, and powers. I wonder if and powers have a conspiracy against God and His people. Uh, yes, I think you do. think they do. Yeah. yeah, pretty sure of that.
1: And and it it has it, it flows into culture. Does right? this shock you? No, it shocks me that that. Fifty four percent of yeah. Christian public. These are the three of the largest, the yeah. two
0: largest and I think number four, number five. Okay. Owned by non Christians, bought out by non-Christians by twenty eleven. Uh, the only ones left are the biggies. Tyndale House has nine percent of the business. Baker has five and BH has five. That's it. Those are the other three biggies. Wow. And the other fifty-four, fifty-five, whatever is owned by non-christians in america you know it's interesting over the years i was wondering what in the world after 2011 we got junk coming out of most of the christian publishing industry you notice that you didn't have john macarthur being published by the major publishers anymore you had a little crossway but crossway is a tiny player in this whole picture uh you had a little bit of uh rc sproul coming through john piper john piper published by crossway but they're not being published by the the giants no no the giants are going for the sloshy stuff the the bad stuff right i'm not going to go through the names but you know who they are you look at the top 20 top 30 these aren't the great pastors who are supposed to be the christian leaders the spiritual leaders of the day from evangelical and reform type churches no 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 it, the the largest publishers went for the very worst possible authors and spread their stuff all over America over the last six or seven or 10 years. In fact, I have an entire section on this in epoch, the rise and fall of the West. And I, I didn't put it together. I thought, well, why in the world would the publishers go to some of the, the slouchiest
1: fluff, fluff and stuff.
0: authors that yeah. you could identify in the country. And the reason of course, is that the publishers were owned by these secular companies. They'd sold out. So friends, Again, why does Zondervan go to the gender-neutral Bible? Well, I think we all know. Zondervan published the TNIV in 2005, the gender-neutral Bible. In 2011, they updated the regular NIV and canceled the 1988 version. They said, from now on, we're doing the new gender-neutral approach. And so the NIV itself, not just the TNIV, but the NIV itself turned gender-neutral. In 2011... Uh, you had translated using gender neutral translation rules, resulting in the replacement of gender specific words, man, woman, he, she, son, daughter, with gender neutral words, person, they, child. The Committee on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood actually analyzed uh, the latest edition of the NIV and they found that uh, the latest translation included 2,766 gender related inaccuracies. So, wow. And that's how HarperCollins. And Random House took over fifty-four percent of Christianity in America, and the Christian publishing business gets into a slew of junk books over the next fifteen years. Now, again, I'm not a conspiratorialist, but,
1: <laughs> but, yeah, what's going on here, yeah. Bill? What's ta- happening it, here? It is the tail end of Christianity.
0: Yeah, it's it's a bad scene. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. now, of course, you all the little tiny publishers like the Generations and Crossways and PNR, and you know there's some tiny ones. But what do we control? 0.01% of the publishing in America? Right. It's the giants that have been captured by these non-Christian, anti-Christian publishing houses. And the end result has been a watering down of the Christian faith. And they, uh, they
1: just choke out the word. And just, Terrible. Just, the tears. Yep.
0: Terrible. Well, let's talk about the gender-neutral terms relating to God. Now, this is a violation of the First Commandment. You step in and say, okay, we're not going to refer to God as Father anymore. Well, you're redefining God right. on your terms. Yep. That's a violation of the First Commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. That's There's no difference between that and some pagan grabbing a tree and carving a god, you know, I think it's Isaiah says, you know, cuts the tree in half, burns half of it to keep himself warm. Right. And then takes the other half and makes a God out of it. Right. That's what they're doing with this TNIV, NIV stuff. And the same things happen with the Anglican church.
1: So what you're saying, we should burn the TNIV Uh, to keep warm. Keep warm. Yeah. The cold winters. Not to warm our souls. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, And here's the deal. We think of God in terms of analogy, where the analogy is the closest we can get. Granted, God doesn't have a body as a, as a man. He, to talk, we we learn about His hand, you know, His arm is strong to save and all that. We get that, but the the term is an analogous. But it's it's the analogy that God wanted for us, such that we would understand. He speaks to us in baby talk, so to speak. I think it was Calvinist said that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, such that we can understand analogically what he's what he is, or what he's like. God doesn't have a body as a man has a body, and yet he's represented as a father, as he, as him. Closest analogy or connotation that we're familiar with. To change that is to change his revelation of himself to us, and that we're not permitted to do. So that's the argument against all these forms of heresy that's creeping into the Anglican Church and to the Evangelical Church by way of the NIV translation of the Bible. Also, I think we need to talk about feminism, because feminism is what's bringing all this in. Is it interesting to you, Bill, that feminism is so much a powerful form of the zeitgeist that it worked its way into evangelical Christianity like this?
1: We should expect it in the sense that um, it starts in the church. It doesn't start in the culture. The church has has not spoken boldly on these issues. We've been cowed. We've been afraid that we're going to be charged with being you know masochists and and we're going to be charged with with abusing women and and by saying here are the roles that men and women play that God has set out here's what their responsibilities are and because we don't address that because we're afraid of offending, then we withdraw from culture. we stop being the salt and light and therefore culture then impacts the church feminism insists on equality, but then you have to ask the question then equality
0: in what sense the value of a human to God is set by God himself. Right. And there's no essential difference in values defined by God, male and female created in his image. And for this reason, both are seen to have value. For example, James three and verse nine with the tongue we bless God and Father. Well, there's Father, so we can't compromise on that word. And with it, this is interesting, and with the tongue, we curse men. Now, that's the New King James Version or the King James Version. Well, that use of the word man is anthropos, or we would use the word mankind, right? Which could, which will include men and women both. Yes. So in this passage, we read, that the tongue can bless God the Father, but it could curse men, anthropos, that could be men or women, who have been made in the image of God. So there you get it. He chose not to use the word andres there. Andres is the male. He could have used andres, which is the Greek word for male, but didn't. He used anthropos. And so it's very clear that the value of a human being who should not be cursed, by the way, is set in this verse by the fact that mankind, man, and woman alike have been made in the similitude or image of God. So so that's very clear. A biblical position on the equal value of man and woman as made in the image of God is presented in Scripture. There's no getting around that. And yet the Bible still presents headship in this order. Very interesting. Now, this is biblical revelation, so we just receive it. This is what the Bible gives us. Woman, man, Christ, and God in that order. Now, listen, 1 Corinthians 11, 3. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So what are we saying? We're saying the head of the woman in the marital relationship is a man. The head of the man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. So there you get it. It's called headship. Every man praying, prophesying, have his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head covered, uncovered, dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head was shaved. And then it goes on to say, This is why women have their heads covered, praying, prophesying, men have their heads uncovered, and so forth. But the argument is placed that women are the glory of man, men are the glory of God, and we have this headship thing going on. Now, I just present this because of what the Bible says. So, You know, now we're not saying there's any difference in essential value. We're just saying this is the position of headship as presented. Now, here's one argument people bring. They say, "Well, now here is a good illustration of how God the Father is of higher import than God the Son, right? Because God the Father is the head of the Son of Christ." But no, no, we say no, no. They're equal in power and glory Mm -hmm. in the Trinitarian conception of god so we we say no there's equal in essence and equal in power and glory both
1: they're different roles
0: but they're different roles right and exactly. so
1: men and women are equal before god but they play different roles
0: there you go all right well proud feminism hates this stuff <laughs> just that's the way it works they don't like this to which we have to say tough bananas is that is that a good apologetic yeah, comment I, I, to make. I, yeah, I think you can't. You can't, you you can't can, argue with scripture.
1: Write a book on that. Yeah, tough. Banana. That would be a good title for a mm-hmm. book, wouldn't it? But you know, God also
0: defines the roles of women and men in the church and the family, and that, of course, the feminists don't
1: like at all. But it it's interesting because the burden is really on the man. It is. sure. It is. Sure, he's responsible sure, sure. He's for responsible. his family. Sure, that's it. He's concept. responsible mm-hmm. for his wife. That's it. And so there's the, there's a, a huge burden on 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 husbands. Yeah. And fathers. And, and in the end, he's got. to I mean, each each of us is, is accountable mm-hmm. before God for our own actions and our mm-hmm. own own uh, decisions. But but in the in the family government situation it's the it's the husband and the father that bears the responsibility
0: well friends uh, i don't think the church should for even one second capitulate to feminism
1: why because feminism is destructive it's
0: absolutely destructive it's 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 the dry rot for marriage for family and for our society our society is breaking down largely because of feminist doctrine and now these guys in england want to bring it into the church Feminism has undermined the oneness of marriage, the oneness of the family. Feminism has introduced a competition for power and control in family and church, as completely unacceptable in the body of Christ. Feminism has emasculated men, where men have ceased to be responsible. As we were saying, where they should be acting as heads in the marriage and being responsible uh, in the home, but feminism has. Undermined all of that. Feminism has introduced the wrong ethic as if equal treatment, equal opportunity, equal roles, equal access to power, equal pay on the basis of gender is supposed to be the definition of what's right. Well, that's not right. That's autonomy. That's not God's law. That's Marxist law. That's not God's law. So that is a form of autonomy. It's rebellion against God, saying, God, we don't like the way that you've laid out right and wrong. We're going to define it for ourselves. It's all wrong. Feminism has introduced chaos and the Jezebel spirit into the churches. And this has become a massive issue in so many churches across America. We speak of the Jezebel spirit, and there's been books written on it, largely because it's so influential today in the American church as well. Friends, let me just encourage you to engage the battle of ideas, replace these ungodly thinking with biblical thinking. Let's make sure we're forming our perspectives solidly on the Word of God, what God gives us in terms of ethics, in terms of. Uh, how the family how, how the church is supposed to operate I call this the social element of worldview it's a social view I've got an entire chapter on that in my upcoming book called Worldview what we believe what, believe what they believe and why they're wrong that's coming out soon but we need to wrap this up friends you've been listening to the Generations broadcast you can interact with our program by emailing me at host at generations.org uh, this is Kevin Swanson and Bill Jack inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation